0: One of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and the sin their sins I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, You gave us permission to call you Father. You incited us to call you Father in Deuteronomy 32, in Moses' last public message to Israel, when you said through him, Thus says the Lord, I am your Father. I fathered you. I am your rock. Our Lord, we thank you that by your redemptive work, your mercy, your grace, you have enabled us, you have so changed our status before you that we can call you, authentically call you Father. Your focus is on us for your glory and our redemption. We ask that today, we may hear things today that we've heard before. The issue is not whether we've heard them before. The issue is how much of a grip do they have on us? We are asking both by the songs that we sing, by the words of encouragement that we speak to one another, and by the opening of your word and the Holy Spirit's expression to us through your word, you will bring us into a deeper, clearer, more powerful relationship with you as we see you more clearly and what you have done for us more clearly, that we may walk with greater clarity in our own minds and hearts and in this culture as your instruments. This is an outcome only you can produce. We are asking therefore that you would meet with us today to produce this authentic, godly outcome. We ask this of you, kind, devoted father, And in the name of your Son, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Today we will be resuming uh, our series in the letter to Hebrews uh, after our Christmas detour. Uh, But before we begin in the reading, and I'm going to be reading Hebrews chapter 9, let me just do a little bit of restoration of where we were and what is being done in this passage by God the Holy Spirit. Now, the early church, and I agree with the early church's earliest statements, the author of this letter is in all likelihood Barnabas. And he, when he and Paul separated, Paul and Silas went back to the places that Paul and Barnabas had ministered to and Barnabas and his nephew Mark uh, went to North Africa and they did ministry there especially in the Jewish communities across North Africa but not exclusively and then this is many years later and those people turned heartily to Christ they pursued Christ they embraced Christ he lifted them up they had a wonderful marvelous walk but as a response to their enthusiastic embrace of all of those wonderful promises from the Hebrew scriptures about who Messiah was, what he would do, and that they had embraced those things in response to that, the culture around them, particularly the Roman legal system and the demand by the emperor that you felt people ought to be worshiping me. (laughs) I am your King. uh, They had endured greater and greater and greater persecution And one of the things that is true, not only of them, but of any time you... you, What is the bare gospel? The bare gospel is that Jesus is God the Son become flesh. He is true God of true God, true man of true man, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. And he paid sin's penalty for us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fulfills all the hoped-for expectation from the law of Moses. He fulfills, we earlier read, Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, written about 600 years before Jesus' birth. A new covenant. What did he say in the upper room just before his arrest and trial and crucifixion? This blood is the new covenant. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was, initially he was going to carry out the act that made the new covenant possible. The, that new covenant described in Jeremiah 31, 600 years before, the covenant that would replace the Mount Sinai covenant, the old covenant, with this new covenant, and the new covenant says, I, God, will, I, God, will, I, God, will. What does the Sinai covenant say? You will do this, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. And if you fully do all of these things, <coughs> you will create a welcome for yourself with me. Except that the harder you try, the behinder you got, the worse it got. Because why? Because we are fallen creatures. We have a sinful nature. We don't have the resource to do what God requires of us. And in fact, the more we focus on that, the worse our fallen nature rises up (laughs) in rebellion and entices us away. We just prayed a few minutes ago for some people that have been pulled away, who know the truth, but what they don't know, and it is a learned thing, they don't know how to walk in the resources God provides. The gospel is about our redemption. That is the core. I find forgiveness with the holy God. I find a welcome with the holy God. But the uncomfortable truth is we also are still residing in a hostile environment. We are surrounded by what the... The New Testament calls the world, the world system. We're surrounded by demonic hosts. We're surrounded by cultures that are corrupt, that demand, as the Roman emperors did, demand worship. We just prayed a few minutes ago for our brothers and sisters, especially in India, who are being persecuted. Why? Because they won't worship. People who demand worship. They're in a hostile environment, but God has also supplied to us the resource to walk in this hostile environment and even to walk in defiance of that fallen sinful nature that still resides in us and will reside in us until Jesus reaches in and yanks it out and yanks it out and throws it away when we receive a resurrection incorruptible body. Whew. Can't wait till that day. The world, the flesh, and the devil are our opposition. The people who are the initial recipients of this letter, their hands are hanging down, their knees are weak, they become weary because of the persecution. But anything you do that adds to the redemptive work of Christ or it replaces the redemptive work of Christ, the, the persecution gets pulled away. Satan incites persecution against God's authentic people who are walking authentically with him. Anytime his people step away from that authentic walk, the persecution drops away. And that's what the recipients of this letter, they pulled away from an undiluted declaration of who Jesus was in their culture. Why? Because they were so weary from the persecution. What is Barnabas's purpose in this letter? To remind them of the message that they had initially received. To point out that the very the cult that has drawn them, which by the way was, was a weird Jewish cult that actually elevated the worship of angels, demons, and that's how this letter begins, is Barnabas rebuking that and showing the silliness. that whole concept. But then he goes on, and as I mentioned earlier in this series, the book of Hebrews is like a roller coaster ride, where (laughs) Barnabas is saying, okay, here's the truth, here's the truth. Oh, wait, 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 you poor fellows, you poor ladies, you're not ready for this. So I guess maybe what we ought to, I just really, oh, really? You want one? So, okay. So he goes, he goes from truth to rebuke, truth to rebuke, Truth to rebuke, truth to rebuke. But what is he doing? He's, he's winning them back to a full embrace of the message they had initially embraced. I would dare say, as the initial readers here of this letter are saying to themselves, yes, I remember when Barnabas shared this with us before. There's probably nothing new here. This is the core of his message. And his principal ministry was to the Jewish community. But what has he done? He has been showing them the superiority of the provision that comes from Jesus under the new covenant to their old Jewish format that was the law from Sinai. Now, God and his witness, why had God even given them the law from Sinai if it wasn't going to work? Because they needed to know that their self-effort wouldn't work. And so he gave them that format so that they could finally cry out in frustration, Lord, I can never do this. I can never walk with the perfection you require. Okay, good. I'm glad you heard that. Let me tell you about redemption. Let me tell you about forgiveness. Let me tell you about my provision. The new covenant was, in fact, not new information. Before Abraham, we have Job saying, I know that my Redeemer lives and, after my, and shall stand on the earth. And though after my flesh, worms destroy this body, so from within my flesh, I will see God. They had the promise of redemption from the garden. What a, God said to the serpent in the garden of Eden, I will bring a seed from the woman. He will bruise your head, Mr. Serpent, while you bruise his heel. The gospel was stated right there immediately after the fall of man, and that's what we see enlarged and put before us in great detail here in both the Old Testament prophecies, but especially in the gospel accounts. And so we are stepping back into the middle of an, a portion of this letter in which Barnabas is drawing a comparison between the Judaism that was familiar with them they came down from Mount Sinai versus the much better promise that was held out to them and that they had embraced and allowed to embrace them in former years. And we are stepping down into chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, deeper in, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, the holy of holies, which had a golden censer And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot which had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So you had in the Ancient tabernacle and later replicated in the temple built in Jerusalem. You had the place where the people go, go in. You had the court of the women. You had the court of the Gentiles. Then you had the court where he's described here where the Jewish men were allowed to go in. And here's the altar of incense and where they did most of the sacrifices. And well, and then there's the Holy of Holies where once a year one person would go in there that was on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. The high priest would go in, and as I've noted before, on his robes at the at the bottom hem of his robes were bells. And so as he's walking, you're hearing these bells going ding 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 ding, and he's in there. Of course, he's wearing these robes at other times too, but especially when he's in the Holy of Holies. And something that they did that wasn't mandated in the book of Leviticus, but they did for their own safety's sake, they actually tied a rope around his ankle and let that rope drag out under the veil, which was a two and a half to three inch thick tapestry. It's not a veil like we use the word. And he's in there. First, he presented an offering for himself, a sin offering for himself in the Holy of Holies. Then he came back out and got the blood for the people's offering, and he took that in and presented that as Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then he would come out and no more. That was once a year, once a year. By the way, at the time of the Jews res- coming back from the, the uh, captivity, they built, rebuilt the temple under Ezra. They didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't have it. And I think I may have mentioned, there's there are a couple different tradition, or stories I've heard. One that I really think is more likely is that it was taken all the way to Ethiopia. To this day, the church in Ethiopia says, yes, we have the Ark of the Covenant, we've been hiding it all these years and we're not letting you know where it is. And another one is that there is some place down in Jerusalem, which makes no sense to me, where it's being hidden and that, why would they do that, not restore it? But the Holy of Holies in the days of Jesus and before that was actually empty. They only had a place marked on the floor where the Ark of the Covenant would be if they had had it. So he's talking to them about all of the wonderful format that was laid, given to them from the Sinai Covenant, the Old Covenant. And... Verse 6, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, but into the second part, the high priest, the holiest of all, the holy of holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, and, I'll insert the word then, and then, the people's sins committed in ignorance. Oh, isn't that interesting? Only sins committed in ignorance were covered. Not sins done on purpose. I'm not. Even, I'm not going to ask this question. Have you ever sinned on purpose? Don't answer. <laughs> Let's see what did. Okay, the Holy Spirit. Indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. What is the idea of the, the, Holy, the Holy of Holies? In the Holy of Holies was the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of his presence. Once a year, the high priest was allowed to go in where the, the Shekinah glory was. Once a year. What's God's what's the gospel promise? What's the new covenant promise? I want the God of all things, the God of creation, want to welcome you, my redeemed ones, into my presence. I'm ramping this up. I'm going to welcome you into my presence. Where the high priest once a year went in with fear. Now you are welcome here. The Holy Spirit indicating this while they had that old format. That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, by the way, the temple was still functioning in Jerusalem as this is being written, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. You do all this stuff and you still come away with a, a vile a conscience that is not cleansed. Concerning, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, external things imposed until the time of Reformation. So here is this all this outside manifestation, all these outside habits that really don't get the job done. So through the centuries, through the generations, as the people carried this out, what is their ultimate, if they're authentic, if they're really earnest about coming, it ends up being a lesson in frustration. I want to be able to walk into the presence of my Lord. Myself. And I can't do it. And I'm doing all these things required and yet my earnest heart burning desire isn't being fulfilled i can't do it under the old law verse 11 but christ came as high priest of the good things to come there is a blessing awaiting you there is a blessing awaiting you and jesus christ is the high priest he has he came as high priest of the good things to come. He is going to set in place your heart's desire of a glad welcome with the holy God. Your Father, the one who said to you in Deuteronomy 32, you can call him Father. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, That is not of this creation. Wait a minute. The tabernacle in the wilderness and that they used until they built the temple under David, under Solomon rather, in Jerusalem, that was simply a scale model on the earth of a heavenly reality. What had God said to Moses while on Mount Sinai? Make sure that what you built matches what I showed you. Moses was given a vision of the heavenly temple. He came down off Mount Sinai and the people were freaking out why. The glory of God was shining from him. He didn't even know it until he saw their response. But he had seen the authentic temple for God's worship while on Mount Sinai, the tabernacle and later the temple built under Solomon and the temple rebuilt under Ezra, they were just scale models. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, of the with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He presented his blood in the heavenly tabernacle, thus making the way for us once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. One of the frustrating things about being under the old covenant, the Sinai law, was you had to go back year after year after year after year presenting sin offering after sin offering after sin offering. Are any of these ever going to work? No. Look at the probably millions of animals they sacrificed. As a picture of what Jesus would accomplish, and we may ask ourselves, Lord, they should, that was sure an awful lot of uh, expense to those people. Well, how much did it cost God the Father to send God the Son? End of discussion. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, just for an annual tradition... <laughs> purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, even his worst enemies could find no fault in him. It is shocking. Jesus was in the hands of the high priests. Annas and Caiaphas, all of the Jewish religious leadership, they bring him to Pilate. What are you accusing him of? Don't even ask. You just crucify him. They had nothing after three to three and a half years of watching him from beyond rocks and bushes. They had not one accusation. Let me tell you, you wouldn't have to watch me for three and a half years. They could find nothing to accuse him of He is the spotless, even though the priests examining him hated him, they couldn't name one fault. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How much more shall the blood of Christ who threw him through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. God takes us who are completely disqualified from serving him into authentic servants. We can now serve the living God. Stop for a minute. Don't just think of this as a message to a crowd. This is God's message to me. You. You. You, you, <coughs> he qualified us. The Creator, the truly holy God, has enabled us <coughs> to be welcomed gladly into his presence. So overwhelmingly powerful is the redemptive work of his Son. This is us. It's very easy to attach this promise to other people or to a crowd. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance <coughs> the core of the gift is <coughs> we have an eternal welcome with the holy god that's the core there are a whole lot of additional blessings and promises and benefits but that's the core. Verse 16 for where there is a testament there must also be must also of necessity be the death of the testator. We use the expression of someone's last will and testament. That last will and testament has absolutely no force while the person is alive. <laughs> it requires their death in order to be submitted to the court and enforced. And so it was with the Old Testament, New Testament. The New Testament, the new covenant was set in place when the one who made the promise died for our sins, making it now possible to open up that testament, that last will and testament blessing to us. For a testament is enforced after men are dead, since it is no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself, in which it was all written out, And all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you. And so they're sprinkled with blood. It required the death of those sacrificial beasts to be set in place. Verse 21. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood there is no remission there is no forgiveness therefore it was necessary that if therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens <clears throat> should be purified with these. Talking about the earthly tabernacle until they're copies of the things in the heavens and they had to have blood sprinkled on them. The hyssop was a a branch off of a bush and that was required. Every time blood was sprinkled, it was required to use a hyssop branch. I don't know why, but God said, selected that. When they put the blood on the lintel and doorposts of their doors for Passover, whenever they used it and they sprinkled the blood. And if that was required for that earthly, for that old covenant, how much more so the new. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens, which are the, talking about the earthly things, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So you can't show up in heaven with the blood of bulls or goats or lambs and say, okay, I've got them. No. A better blood is required for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true but into heaven itself the heavenly reality now to appear in the presence of God for us as our advocate not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood, of the blood, with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, But after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And he got it done. The sixth statement from the cross was a statement to Telestai, paid in full. He got it done. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, for deliverance. He came and created the reality and did the reality that enabled his father to redeem us. But he's going to appear a second time and all those other kingdom promises will be fulfilled. Heaven's reality will become earth's reality. For you and for me. For you and for me. What is important in this life? Is it the house that we live in? Is it the particular vehicle we drive around in? Is it what's in our wardrobe? Is it what's in our pantry? The real value is found in one thing what our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, has accomplished for us and welcomed us into. That's the ultimate reality. And ladies and gentlemen, we ain't seen nothing yet. We ain't seen nothing yet. Let's give thanks to God and ask for his help in this coming week to walk with the insight the holy spirit gave to us today our lord we ask that you would enable us by the strength and the guidance of the person of the third person of the trinity god the holy spirit that this week we will walk valuing what you declare in hebrews chapter 9 we should value what you Redeemer Jesus, accomplished for us. You have created a welcome for us in heaven, and we have only experienced the beginning stages of the kingdom glory that is promised and that awaits us. We ask that you would enable us to value what is truly valuable, and understand that everything else is just a tool be, to be used for your praise and glory. We ask for those whom we formerly prayed for, who do not yet know you, or who need to have their walk with you restored, we ask that you would pour out on them a spirit of understanding as reflected here in Hebrews, here in Hebrews chapter 9, that there is a immeasurable blessing that belongs to all those who walk authentically with you, with a clear understanding of who you are and what you provide. Great Redeemer, God, we pray. Amen.